Right. Good morning, Revival. Glad to be here today. Uh, listen, I, I know uh, we've been in this series on Corinthians, and uh, we've been going through it, running through it. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna just hit pause. For the month of April here, we're going to hit pause, and then in May, we're going to kick back into it. Uh, but we just wanted to jump into something uh, just a little different this month because we know there's going to be different, uh, just new people joining us all month long because that's what happens in Easter. You know, Easter comes around and people start inviting and saying, man, I need to invite family, friends, whoever to church with me. Uh, and so we wanted to do a series that we thought, man, this is a place where they can kind of jump in fresh with us this month. And then we'll kick back in, coming up here in May, back into Corinthians. Uh, but So this series is called The Road. And so it comes from uh, Luke 24. If you want to go there right off the bat, I, I want to look at this with you. Luke 24. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go a few verses back just to help set this up for you. But this is what we're building to. I, I mean, when you start to think like about this month, what we're celebrating coming up on Easter. I mean, this is, you know, the Super Bowl for churches all over the world. Man, everybody's always building to Easter, okay? I mean, that's what everybody's always going to. But this story that we're looking at, it's actually, it's after the empty tomb. And Jesus has come out of the tomb, and he, uh, he joins these two travelers, these followers of him. And they're going on the road, and they're feeling kind of defeated because they, they just saw Jesus crucified, hung on the cross, and they're thinking, man, it's over. This guy that we were following, this guy we were giving our life to, to you know, say, hey, he's the Messiah. He's our Savior. He, he's dead and buried. And this random stranger joins these two guys walking on the road, and so they're heading on this road to Emmaus. And it was a seven-mile journey. And so verse 28, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus. And at the end of this journey, this, little guy, this guy had joined them. And uh, they didn't know it was Jesus, but it was Jesus. And so at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. And these two people, they begged him. They said, stay the night with us since it's getting late. They'd had this great conversation on the road while walking. They were talking about scripture and all kinds of things. They were kind of excited about to have this conversation with this stranger that they didn't recognize. Verse 30, as they sat down to eat, Jesus, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. The moment they recognized Jesus, he disappeared. Like he was gone. Magician, David Blaine, whatever. I mean, it was amazing. And so there they are. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? I love this idea of the road because I think Jesus wants to meet us on the road. And I know that in my own life because I know for me some of my best moments where I've heard most clearly from him have actually taken place on the road. When I finally just, it took me a long time to get to this point, but when I could just turn off the radio, turn off, you know, audio books, turn off all the distractions, no TV, no noise, no kids in the backseat yelling at me that they're ready to stop. Um, man, those moments that I have driving in the car and it's peaceful on the road, those are some of the moments I've heard him speak more loudly and clearly than I've ever heard in my life. 
And I believe that he wants to meet each of us on the road. We are all, uh, we're, we're traveling through life and we are on this road. And I, I want to look at some of the stories when it talks about this word road. Because, man, this is, a, it's really interesting. Uh, it's hodos in the Greek. And, and all it means is it's a way or a road. And, uh, and it's used talking about journey or a path that you might be on. But this word is used throughout Scripture in so many different ways. In fact, in, uh, if you go back to the very beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 3, verse 2 through 6, uh, John the Baptist, he was out there in the wilderness, and he was, he was declaring that Jesus was coming. He was preparing the way or the road. The, that's the exact word they use again, hodos, okay? Chapter 3, uh, verse 2 in Luke. Uh, actually, we're going to jump down here. Yeah, yeah, verse 3. There you go. Chapter 3, verse 3. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, and he was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way, the road, hodos, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. Prepare the way. Clear the road for him. Hodos, each time, the Greek word, it's that same word. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. What's one of the most famous lines Jesus said? He said, I am the way. I am the hodos. It's kind of fun to say. Go ahead, say that with me. I am the hodos. Ready? One, two, three. Hodos. There you go. You learn Greek today. Uh, you're, you know, bilingual now, all right? Pretty much. One word. Okay? I am the way. He, he is the road. He is the road, and he meets us on the road. He is the way. We're going to look at that all this month, what it means. But today, I, I want to start with John the Baptist. Because when you look at this story in Luke, we got to go back to the very beginning. John was out there in the wilderness preparing the way so he could meet us on the road. Okay, John, all the way back in the beginning, that's what he was doing. He was preparing the way. He was preparing in the wilderness people's hearts so they could meet Jesus someday on the way, on the road. That's what we're doing in this season. We are preparing and paving the way for people to meet Jesus. Not only for people to meet Jesus, but for us to grow deeper with Jesus. Here's something. When you look at churches today, every church, if you go to their webpage or if you go on a Sunday, you're going to hear, um, man, just some incredible, like, just huge mission statements, right? Like, we're going to go into, you know, what did Jesus say? Go into all the world and make disciples, and so we hear that sometimes and we think, yes, that's it. That's what we're called to do. That's the church. That's what we need to be about. And so a lot of churches, that's what they go in and they think, man, this is our mission. We're going to go out and we're going to, you know, we're going to save the world. Let me, let me read this quote for you. 
This is from a, a Hasidic rabbi, and he's, an, he's anonymous. Uh, we don't know who, you know, he didn't want credit for this quote, but it's a great quote. And so here's what he says. When I was young, I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious. So I set out to change my state. It's a good goal. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious. So I set out to change my town. You see where this is going. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. Now, as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I had started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. The road outward begins with the road inward. We don't want to deal with the inward because we know what's in there. It's a mess, right? There's an amen. Amen. There you go. We know it's a mess. We'd rather change everyone else because, man, you got problems. I see them. Let me help you with them. Don't talk about mine. No, no, no. Don't talk about my struggles. Don't talk about what I'm dealing with in here. No, no, no. Let's talk about you outwardly. We look at the world and we say, man, the world is a mess. Shoot, if I was over there, I could fix this and I could fix this. Put me in a room with Putin and Zelensky. I'll make peace. Whatever. No. We, we are a mess internally and we need to begin there. That is where the road begins. That is where Jesus wants to begin with us. Because I, I mean, tell, trust me, in this past year, as I was wrestling with, man, if we're starting a church, I, I kept looking at some of these other churches, I kept looking at their mission statements and thinking, we gotta have something like that. We gotta have something huge, something big. And even the idea of revival, I think, man, revival, I, I want to bring revival to this city. I wanna bring revival to this world. That, that was really like some of my initial thoughts. And the more the year has gone on, he's just been saying, no, 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 I'm bringing revival in your life first in your heart first, he did. Yeah, he brought me back to life again in a new way. And then I, I'm gonna work in your family, and I'm seeing that. And not even just like my immediate family, I'm seeing it in as my siblings and my aunts and my uncles and my cousins, you know, all throughout, I'm starting to see how he is working revival outward. He is working and moving, but everything has to begin inward. And that's tough. That's a difficult thing to look inward. That's why before Jesus came, it, it was his cousin, John the Baptist, that God sent first. I don't know if you knew that. John the Baptist, that was Jesus' cousin. Uh, they probably grew up together. They probably grew up hanging out, you know, playing maybe soccer. I don't know, you know, some form of soccer back then. I don't know what they were doing, but they were kids having fun, climbing trees, living life, and they knew each other. And they had been sent for a purpose. And so John, here's his purpose. Let me, let me read you his purpose statement again, uh, chapter three. And it comes from Isaiah, which we talked about in Corinthians, that series. Isaiah is, I mean, I, I don't know this. I should probably look this up, but I, I'm starting to think he might, might be one of the most quoted Old Testament prophets as you begin to look and read through the New Testament. It's important for us to understand the Old Testament matters. It matters. We need to keep learning it and understanding it. Sometimes we toss the Old Testament out and think, oh, it's outdated because of Jesus. No, 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 it's fulfilled because of Jesus. 
It's not outdated. We still need these words and we live by them. Okay, so here, uh, chapter three, verse three. Then John, Jesus' cousin, went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River. And John, let me just give you a little description of John. He would wear uh, clothing kind of made of, of camel hair, it's described, and he had like a leather belt he kind of cinched this thing with. And uh, he ate locusts and honey. He, he was what you would call back then, uh, maybe we would call that a, a mountain man, you know, kind of living off the land. That was John, okay? He was a mountain man living off the land. He was out in the wilderness, and he's out by the Jordan River, and he's preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Isaiah, hundreds of years before, talked about John. He knew John was coming. God had given him this vision, this prophetic word. He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. L let me tell you a little bit about this language here. This language, prepare the way the Lord is coming, this was used in ancient times. This was a common phrase. They would, they would send out road crews if they knew a king or a foreign dignitary was coming to town. You know, they would kind of send somebody on ahead and, and this guy would say, hey, this king is coming. And so what they would do is they would send out the road crews and they would say, we have to prepare the way for the king is coming. It, it was known that this king was coming well ahead of time. So they would go out and they would clear rocks they would straighten up some of the curves. They would fill in the potholes. That's what John is doing for Jesus. He is preparing the way. He's preparing the roads to people's hearts for Jesus. And when you read the words of John, it, it always begins the same way. Repent. Repent. That's how we start to clear the roads and pave the way for Jesus to move and work inside our hearts. It begins with repentance, inward repentance. He introduced uh, many of these concepts as he was out there in the wilderness, as he was preparing the way. He was paving the road. The church today we're still called to pave the way. We're still called to prepare the way. That's what we're doing. We're paving the way for people. We're showing them the path. We're showing them the road. By the way we live and the words we speak, we are paving the way. And by our prayers, gosh, look, I gotta tell you, like your prayers pave the way for people to find Jesus. Your prayers matter. It's not like they're just going up there and nobody's listening to them, nobody's hearing them. No, no, no. They are paving the way when we pray in faith. 
And so I, I would challenge you in this season, right now, in fact, if you're journaling or if you're writing stuff down, I, I would write this phrase down, pave the way, pray, prepare the way, write that down, and then ask the Holy Spirit, who am I paving the way for? Who am I preparing the way for? Who is it you put on my heart? Pray specifically for somebody that you know, man, God wants to come in and he wants to make a way in that person's heart. Start preparing the way for God to come in and make that happen. He changes lives and he listens to our prayers and our prayers pave the way. They, they make the path straight. They fill in the potholes. They make it possible for life to enter. When the crowds came to John for baptism, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I put this one up here, but I, I want you to hear this. He says this. Now, some, some of the crowds they entered in, some of them were Pharisees and Sadducees. They were these religious leaders. And he says to them, you brood of snakes or you brood of vipers who wanted who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. We live in a world still today. And we, we hear this and we think, oh, okay, well, that, that's not us. You know, we don't say like, oh, we're saved because we're Jewish. That's what these leaders were doing. Hey, we are, we are related to Abraham. We are descendants. We are true Israelites. That's what they believe saved them, their heritage. And we think, oh, that's foolish, you know. But how many conversations have you had with people in our world today when you ask them, man, what do you believe? What's your faith? Where, where do you line up? And how many times have you heard, well, my family's Catholic, uh, and it's, it's become something they were born into. Or my family's Lutheran. Or my family is non-denominational Christian. We've gone to a non-denominational Christian church our whole lives, you know, and that, I was born into it. And we still believe today, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees and all these religious, self-righteous people, that we were born into it and we made, you know, one declaration of faith and we're good. Like, that's it. That's all it takes. We're not saved by works, but we do need to understand there, there's a lie that Satan is using right now. And it, this, uh, man, I, I saw this phrased so well the other day, and I just, I, I had to share it with you. But people use this a lot in the church today, and they say Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. And that sounds great, because it is. It's a relationship with Jesus, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. That is true. But we are abusing that line in the church today. We are taking that line and we are abusing it. Let, let me explain a little bit to you. Because now we use it as an excuse for disobedience to Christ. For disobedience to the Holy Spirit. And we'll say, oh, it's just, it's my, my personal relationship. In fact, we'll even use that to say, I don't need the church because I, I know this. I've seen this in my own family. I, I have people that I am very close with that I love, and I've seen them say things like this, like, well, you know, I, we don't need to go to church. We don't need to be involved in the church because it, it's just about a personal relationship. And so they use it as an excuse to separate themselves from the body of 
Christ. Satan knows it's easier to attack you when you're on your own. He loves to separate you from the herd, from the family. Understand that. That is one of the best lies and deceptions he's using today. He wants to separate you. He wants you to believe, oh, it's just my personal relationship. And then we use that with everything. Because then we start to think, I don't really need to confess to anybody. I don't need to tell anybody what I'm dealing with, what I'm struggling with, because I can just have that personal relationship with God. But we read it in James today during communion. There's power and healing in confession and repentance. When you go and you talk to somebody, I, I know you don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I know Satan doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to get free. But when you go and you tell somebody that you're struggling, when you open up, when you're vulnerable and transparent with them, there's power and healing there. And then all of a sudden, there's somebody on your team praying for you. And there's somebody asking, hey, how are you doing? Man, that confession and that accountability, it brings healing into your life. And guess what? Like, if you think you're the only one that struggles the way that you struggle, you're not. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're going through, Man, there's probably 20, 30 other people in this room right now. They're struggling the same way. They're having those same thoughts. They're tempted in that same way. And they've fallen in that same way. But when you start to gather in community as the church, and you start to have real relationships, real conversations, confession and repentance begins to happen, healing starts to take place. That's what he wants to do through the church. And so this lie of Christianity is just a personal relationship. It, it is, but don't let it be distorted. Satan takes good things and he distorts them. That's what he's doing with this phrase. Because our relationship to Jesus isn't only as Savior. Because it's true, we are saved by grace, not our works. But our relationship to Jesus is as Lord and Savior. When people get baptized here at Revival, that's what we ask them. Do you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Lord comes first. Lord, that, that's king. He is king of your heart. He is king of every area of your life. That's saying, I'm going to make him Lord of every area, and I'm going to be obedient to the king. That's what he's asking of you. That's what he's asking of all of us. That's the part we don't like. Because there's parts that we want to stay hidden. There's parts that we want to compartmentalize in our life and say, you know what? Jesus can have all of this over here, but I'm going to hold on to this area because I'm not ready to let go yet. There's power when you release it to him, and there's healing in that. It's the road inward. You got to take that road inward before you can move outward. You got to heal. You got to let him heal you before he can use you to help others heal. That's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to bring healing. St. John of the Cross. That's what he goes by. St. John of the Cross. He, uh, he wrote a poem called Dark Night of the Soul. And uh, in this poem, he talks about it as believers that you hit something called the wall. Like all of us as believers, we will hit the wall. 
And at the wall, man, it, it is the dark night of the soul. It's that moment you want to quit. It's that moment you want to give up. It's that moment you want to say, I'm done. This isn't worth it. I'm going to follow the way of the world. Which, which that's what it is. You, you can follow the narrow path, the narrow way, the narrow hodos, or you can take the broad hodos, the wide path of the world. That one looks a lot easier. It looks more appealing, okay? Each one of those, they lead to different destinations. You know what the destinations are. You can pick which hodos you're going to follow, which way you're going to follow. But he says, when you hit the wall, you're going to want to leave the narrow path. You're going to want to leave the narrow hodos. You're going to want to be done with it. But he wants to purge in those moments everything that does not belong. He wants to purify you in a new way in those moments, in the darkness of your soul, in the darkness of the night that you are dealing with. In those moments, he wants to purge you and prepare you to prepare the way. And so I, I want to read some of these things here for you because I think as believers, we think, man, I, you know, I, I'm not any of those big sins that I think of. I'm not a murderer. I'm not, you know, an adulterer. I'm not any of these things. I'm actually doing, we, we like to think of ourselves as pretty good people. We like that because it feels good. And that's what the church has gotten really good at telling us. The church is so good at telling us, man, you're all just good people. We're all going to end up in the same place. Everybody's going to be happy. We're going to sing Kumbaya. It's going to be amazing. There's going to be water slides. Hallelujah. All right. I don't know if there's going to be water slides. Okay. Maybe. Uh, but when you start to look at it in this way, Go ahead, if you're journaling again, write this down. Pull out your phone, write some of these down. I, I, I was reading these last week and, and there were some that hit me in a new way and I realized, man, I, I didn't even realize I was struggling with this. I didn't even realize this was an issue in my life. And so let me read his descriptions for you. Pride. Right off the bat, we think, oh, sure, yeah, we all struggle with pride. Uh, but he gives a little description of each one and I, let me read this one for you. Being judgmental, and impatient with the faults of others. All of a sudden, when you see that as pride, you're like, oh yeah, I really struggle with pride because I'm very impatient. Man, if you're a parent impatient with the fault of others, I mean, you look at your kids and you're like, why, you knocked the milk over again? Come on, you're two. You should be able to drink a cup of milk by now. There, there's a struggle there. And so all of a sudden, I'm very convicted last week. I need to repent I am very prideful. I struggle with that patience. This is a word, I, I'll be honest with you, I've never heard this word before. Some of you are gonna be like, wow, you're not very smart. Avarice, am I even saying that right? Avarice. Okay, nobody knows if I'm saying it right. All right, good. Yes, that's how you say it. I can, I can pronounce Greek, but I can't pronounce avarice. I've never used that in a sentence, all right? Suffering discontentment. Discontentment is a sin, okay? Discontentment is a sin. Okay, that, I, I'm pretty sure that's the entire room right there. We've all struggled with discontentment. We struggled with discontentment this week, it, whether it was in a meal we ate or whether it was in a fact that, man, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to go on this trip that I wanted to go on or I, I didn't get to buy this thing that I thought would make me happy or I did buy this thing that I thought would make me happy and it hasn't made me happy. Nothing is making me happy because I'm just always discontent. Discontentment is a sin. He wants us to learn to find joy in him. And then all of a sudden that brings joy to every other area of our lives. 
okay? Luxury. Taking more pleasure in our spiritual blessings than in God himself. You, we, we've been blessed. Like whether you realize it or not, no matter how hard you work in life, no matter how much you think, oh, I've earned this and I've done this and I've accomplished this, it's all a blessing from him. And he can take and he can give away. Read the book of Job. He gives and takes away, but it doesn't matter. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's contentment in every season, whether he is giving blessings or whether he is taking them away to teach you something at the wall, to purge you of something that needs to be purged, you can learn something in every season. Blessed be the name, though, through it all. That's what Job said when he lost everything, his family, his home, his wealth, his health. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's luxury. I, I, as we're going through these, I'm serious. Write these down when the Holy Spirit puts something on you and he says, this is you. When the Holy Spirit says something, don't ignore him. Don't do it. Because it'll come back to bite you later. Wrath. I read wrath and I'm like, no way, I'm not wrathful. You know, I'm not out here throwing fire at people and punching people. And I'm, not, I'm not wrathful, God. And St. John, he, he describes it as becoming easily irritated or impatient. Again, I'm like, dang it, yeah, I'm wrathful, I'm wrathful, all right? When you have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, man, we're at Target yesterday, and Jet is like, he's climbing onto shelves and knocking over toasters. Like, I'm just like, I have no patience left. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what happens. Wrathful, spiritual gluttony resisting the cross. Are you resistant to the cross, the power of the cross, the grace of the cross, the fact that the work has already been accomplished? There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to be good enough. Are you resistant to the cross? Once again, there's a difference there between being obedient because we love Jesus and we are in relationship to him and being obedient because we're trying to earn something. We're trying to be good enough. There's a difference there. Uh, spiritual envy. Always comparing ourselves to others. Looking around, always comparing ourselves to others. Oh, I'm, I'm better than them, so I, I'm a good person. Or I'm not quite as good as them, I, I need to do a little better. Spiritual envy. And then this last one, sloth. This one I was like, no way is this me. No way. And then I read the description again, running from what is hard. And I know this last week, there were some conversations that I need to have with different people and I've been avoiding it. And instead of having them or even thinking about how I'm gonna have some of these conversations that need to take place, what am I doing? I'm sitting at home at nine o'clock and I'm realizing, man, Netflix put Seinfeld on? Yeah, I'd rather just watch Seinfeld and turn my brain off than think about the hard things that I got to do. That's sloth. We have to repent to prepare the way for what Jesus wants to do in our hearts. That's what we're gonna do in this moment. Right here, right now as a church, I invite you into this moment. As the worship team, you guys can come up. Let's prepare for this moment. But man, as we stand and we get ready to worship, if you need to, if you need to tell somebody, if you need to tell your spouse, if you need to tell a friend, if you just need to be honest for maybe the first time in your life, if you need to confess something and just say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, confession is nothing to be ashamed of. 
Confession is something we're going to celebrate in this church. And that doesn't mean, hey, you know, you got to go out and, you know, post everything on social media, say, hey, here's, you know, here's my list. No, no, no. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody you can have a conversation with. Find somebody you can be vulnerable and transparent with. And take these things to them and say, hey, I, I know God is preparing something in my heart and he needs to smooth the roads. So all of a sudden that Holy Spirit will start to flow out of me again and back into the world, back into the people around me. That is where it all begins. It begins on the road internally and it's gonna work its way externally. But it starts with us. It starts with repentance. It starts with confession. That's where healing happens. So don't let Satan win today. Because guess what? Right now, he's whispering in your voice. He's whispering in your ear and he's saying, don't talk to anyone. It's embarrassing. It's dumb. You can deal with this on your own. You can fix the problem yourself. You don't need to talk to anybody. That's what he's saying. But there's power and healing in confession and repentance. Let's pray. Would you guys stand up as we pray? Holy Spirit, I just invite you into this moment. As we're getting ready to travel on this road inward, to look at our lives, to look at our hearts, God, I just pray that you would expose every dark corner that you would expose everything we've been holding on to, everything we value, everything we put above you, everything that we serve as an idol ahead of you, that we would tear down those idols in this moment, that we would bring light into the dark places. Holy Spirit, let us begin with repentance to start smoothing out these roads. God, to straighten the curves to fill in the potholes of our heart. Let there be healing today like there's never been before. In this room, God, I pray for healing. I pray for that dad that's struggling to be patient with his kids. I pray for that mom that has beaten herself up over how many times she's failed over how many times she's let her kids down, how many times she's let her husband down. God, let there be healing today, knowing that she is loved by you and that there is power and grace when we begin to learn to walk in obedience to your voice. God, let that healing run like a river through these roads. Let it be smooth and straight for you to work and move in people's lives today. Holy Spirit, move in a new and a fresh way. God, let there be healing. In your name we pray. Amen.